This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of osteochondroma and multiple hereditary exostosis from the pathology section on orthobullets.com. Let's start this episode with a quick summary. Osteochondromas are benign chondrogenic lesions derived from aberrant cartilage from the perichondrial ring that may take the form of solitary osteochondroma or multiple hereditary exostosis. Patients typically present between the ages of 10 and 30 with a painless mass. Diagnosis is made with radiographs showing sessile or pedunculated lesions found on the surface of bones. Treatment is observation for asymptomatic or minimally symptomatic cases. Surgical resection is indicated in cases of progressive and severe pain. Now let's get into the episode. With respect to epidemiology, as far as incidence, osteochondromas are the most common benign bone tumor. The true incidence is unknown, however, as many are asymptomatic. In terms of demographics, osteochondromas are common in adolescents and young adults. Tested ages includes 9, 10, 12, 20, and 24. In terms of anatomic location, osteochondromas occur on the surface of the bone and often at sites of tendon insertion. Common locations include the knee, specifically the proximal tibia and or distal femur, the proximal femur, proximal humerus, and there may also be subungual exostosis, which occurs most often at the hallux. Rarely, these osteochondromas present in the spine, typically involving the posterior elements of the cervical spine. Moving on to etiology, in terms of pathophysiology, a solitary osteochondroma can arise because of Salter Harris fractures, surgery, or radiation therapy. And keep in mind that osteochondromas are the most common benign radiation-induced bone tumor. As far as the pathoanatomy of osteochondromas, these are hamartomatous proliferations of the bone and cartilage, and possibly arise from the growth plate cartilage that grows through the cortex by endochondral ossification under the periosteum. Know that a perichondrial ring of Lacroix defect may allow growth from the physis to extend from the surface. Finally, remember that the stalk of the lesion is cortical and cancellous bone formed from ossified cartilage. In terms of genetics, the inheritance of multiple hereditary exostosis is autosomal dominant. This involves a mutation in the EXT gene that affects prehypertrophic chondrocytes of the growth plate. Know that loss of regulation of Indian hedgehog protein is currently being investigated in the pathogenesis of this disease. Associated conditions with osteochondromas include secondary chondrosarcoma, which is a malignant condition that results from malignant transformation of a solitary osteochondroma or multiple hereditary exostosis. Know that a secondary chondrosarcoma is most commonly a low-grade tumor in 90% of cases. With respect to epidemiology, secondary chondrosarcomas occur in older patients and a common tested age is 50. Know that secondary chondrosarcomas are rare in the pediatric population, making up less than 1% of cases. Finally, remember that the most common location of a secondary chondrosarcoma is the pelvis. Now, let's talk about multiple hereditary exostosis, or MHE, in a bit more detail. So this disorder is characterized by multiple osteochondromas. The pathophysiology involves mutations that affect the prehypertrophic chondrocytes of the physis. As far as genetics, as we mentioned, the inheritance is autosomal dominant, and the penetrance is estimated to be 96% in females and 100% in males. In terms of mutation, multiple hereditary exostosis is caused by mutations in EXT1, EXT2, and EXT3 genes, which are tumor suppressor genes. This leads to decreased production of heparin sulfate by chondrocytes found at the physis. Know that individuals with the EXT1 mutation have a more severe presentation compared to patients with the EXT2 mutation, including higher rates of chondrosarcoma, more exostoses, 
more limb malalignment with less forearm and knee range of motion, and more pelvic and flat bone involvement. Finally, moving on to the prognosis of multiple hereditary exostosis, there is 5 to 10% malignant transformation to chondrosarcoma in patients with multiple hereditary exostosis. Note that proximal lesions are more likely to undergo malignant transformation than distal lesions. Now, let's talk about the presentation of osteochondromas and multiple hereditary exostosis. So starting with osteochondroma, as far as symptoms, most lesions are asymptomatic, and these patients usually present with a painless mass. Patients may have mechanical symptoms or symptoms of neurovascular compression. Keep in mind that osteochondromas will continue to grow until skeletal maturity. On physical exam, you may find a palpable mass, and patients may have mechanical symptoms secondary to the mass. Moving on to multiple hereditary exostosis, symptoms can include limb deformities and joint pain. As far as limb deformities, the most common sites of deformity include the knee, forearm, and ankle. Specific deformities can include ephemeral shortening and limb length discrepancy, coxovalca, knee valgus because of a shortened fibula and patellar dislocation, and ankle valgus because of a shortened fibula. Upper extremity deformities are well tolerated and lead to little loss of function. Examples include ulnar shortening, radial bowing, and radial head dislocation, and know that these patients may be treated with exostosis excision, ulnar lengthening, and radial closing wedge osteotomy. In terms of joint pain, patients may have symptoms of premature osteoarthritis. On physical exam, the most common deformities include ulnar shortening and radial bowing, radial head dislocation, and ulnar deviation of the hand. In terms of secondary chondrosarcoma, know that acute onset of pain in adults with multiple hereditary exostosis should raise suspicion for malignancy. Moving on to imaging, radiographs may reveal sessile or pedunculated lesions found on the surface of bones. Remember that sessile means broad base and pedunculated means a narrow stalk. Know that there is a higher risk of malignant degeneration in sessile lesions. And remember that pedunculated lesions point away from the joint. In terms of continuity with native tissue, on radiographs, the cortex of the lesion is continuous with the cortex of the native bone. In addition, the medullary cavity of the lesion is continuous with the medullary cavity of native bone. Other findings on radiographs include a cartilage cap that is usually radiolucent and involutes at skeletal maturity. Know that nodules of metaplastic cartilage can occur within the bursa over cartilage caps. Moving on to CT or MRI, these modalities can be used to better characterize lesions. Moving on to histology, characteristic histology of osteochondromas is similar to a normal physis with a cartilage cap that consists of hyaline cartilage, well-defined perichondrium around the cartilage cap, normal primary trabeculae, and linear clusters of active chondrocytes. Know that osteochondromas may have a thin cartilage cap that covers the lesion and are only 2 to 3 millimeters thick. Thick cartilage caps imply growth but are not a reliable indicator of malignant degeneration in children. If the cartilage cap becomes thicker as an adult, you need to be concerned for chondrosarcoma transformation. Moving on to the differential diagnosis of osteochondromas, note that osteochondroma or multiple hereditary exostosis will have surface lesions, they have chondrogenic histology, and the treatment is typically observation. Periosteochondromas are also surface lesions and may have similar chondrogenic histology. Parosteal and periosteal osteosarcomas are both surface lesions but do not have similar chondrogenic histology and the treatment is obviously not observation. Oliers and Mafuchi syndrome as well as chondrosarcoma may have similar chondrogenic histology to osteochondromas but are not surface lesions and the treatment is not observation. 
Paget's disease is not a surface lesion and will not have similar chondrogenic histology, but the treatment for Paget's disease, like osteochondroma, is typically observation. An enchondroma may have similar chondrogenic histology to osteochondromas, and the treatment is also observation. Finally, fibrous dysplasia, non-ossifying fibroma, and eosinophilic granulomas are not surface lesions, do not have similar chondrogenic histology to osteochondromas, but the treatment, like for osteochondroma and multiple hereditary exostosis, is typically observation. Now, let's talk about the treatment of osteochondromas and multiple hereditary exostosis in a bit more detail. So for osteochondromas, the treatment can be non-operative or operative. Non-operative management includes observation alone, which is indicated for asymptomatic or minimally symptomatic cases. Operative options include marginal resection at the base of the stalk, including a cartilage cap. Indications include symptomatic lesions, where the lesion may cause inflammation to the surrounding tissue, and the lesion may be cosmetically displeasing. Remember to try to delay surgery until skeletal maturity. Moving on to multiple hereditary exostosis, treatment can be non-operative or operative. Non-operative management includes observation, and as far as indications, most patients do not require intervention prior to reaching skeletal maturity. Operative options include surgical excision of the osteochondroma. Indications include dislocated radial heads and or loss of forearm rotation. In terms of outcomes, know that simple excision of the osteochondroma optimizes the chance of improved motion. Finally, moving on to secondary chondrosarcoma, the treatment of this will always be operative with a wide surgical resection, and this will be treated the same as a typical chondrosarcoma. Now let's talk about some complications of osteochondroma and multiple hereditary exostosis. The ones to know include pseudoaneurysm of the popliteal artery in the popliteal fossa, nerve compression, tendon compression, chondrosarcoma, bursa formation, and recurrence. So as far as pseudoaneurysm of the popliteal artery in the popliteal fossa, other vascular complications can include vascular compression, a true aneurysm, arterial thrombosis, and venous thrombosis. Nerve compression can be specifically to the sciatic nerve, the common perineal nerve, which can lead to atrophy of the anterior and lateral compartment muscles of the leg, and there can also be compression of the radial nerve. In terms of tendon compression, these can be secondary to lesions around the shoulder that can give rise to rotator cuff impingement, subscapularis tears, and bicipital tendonitis. Moving on to chondrosarcoma, in adults, a cartilage cap of greater than 2 centimeters is associated with an increased chance of malignancy. The mean age of diagnosis is 31 years old, However, this is seldom in the first decade or after the fifth decades of life. Finally, in terms of recurrence of osteochondromas, know that 2 to 5% of cases after resection recur. Remember that short-term x-ray surveillance is adequate unless the patient is symptomatic later. Now, let's end this review session talking about prognosis. Know that the risk of malignant transformation of an osteochondroma is less than 1% with a solitary osteochondroma, and remember that approximately 5-10% to of patients with multiple hereditary exostosis develop secondary chondrosarcoma. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic might be tested. First question. A 20-year-old male has an autosomal dominant condition associated with mutations in the EXT gene. This mutation is characteristic for causing multiple exostoses. What malignant condition is most commonly associated with this diagnosis? And the choices are 1. Chondrosarcoma 2. Osteoblastoma 3. Chondroblastoma 4. Osteosarcoma and 5. Lyomyosarcoma The 
the correct answer to this question is one, chondrosarcoma. So multiple hereditary exostosis is an autosomal dominant condition caused by mutations in EXT1, EXT2, and EXT3 genes, which are tumor suppressor genes. The most common malignant transformation for osteochondromas is intochondrosarcomas. To quickly review, multiple hereditary exostosis is a disorder characterized by multiple osteochondromas. The condition is associated with tumor suppressor exostosin genes, such as EXT1, EXT2, and EXT3, in chromosomes 8, 11, and 19, respectively. Individuals with the EXT mutations have unregulated prehypertrophic chondrocyte growth, resulting in the characteristic exostoses. Patients with the EXT1 gene have a greater number of exostoses compared to those with EXT2 gene mutations. Similarly, EXT1 have higher rates of sarcomatous changes. Mutasami et al. reviewed five polyostotic conditions including multiple hereditary exostosis or MHE. They state that osteochondroma lesions occur in metaphyseal bone and morphologically can exhibit a stalk, otherwise known as pedunculated, or a broad base, otherwise known as sessile. Pedunculated lesions are more often encountered in patients with solitary exostoses, whereas the sessile morphology is more common in patients with multiple hereditary exostosis. Stiffner et al. reviewed benign bone lesions. They state that patients with multiple hereditary exostosis should be evaluated regularly because they are at risk for malignant transformation to chondrosarcoma. Secondary chondrosarcomas are typically low-grade and can be treated by surgery alone with a good prognosis. Moving on to the next question. A defect of which of the following genes is associated with an increased risk of chondrosarcoma and is inherited in an autosomal dominant manner? And the choices are 1. PHEX, 2. PMP22, 3. SYTSSX, 4. GNAS1, and 5. EXT1. The correct answer to this question is 5. EXT1. So the defect in the EXT1 gene results in multiple hereditary exostoses, which is an autosomal dominant gene. This gene is associated with a 10% risk of malignant transformation to chondrosarcoma. Jager et al. performed a prospective case series on 52 patients with multiple hereditary exostosis to see if there is a correlation between genotype and phenotype. Their findings included that there were more individuals with greater than 10 exostoses in EXT1 individuals than in EXT2, and that all patients had at least one joint with greater than 10 degrees restriction of range of motion. Slightly over 60% of the individuals had undergone surgery for their condition. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, PHEX is incorrect, as X-linked hypophosphatemic rickets is caused by a mutation in the PHEX gene. Answer 2, PMP22, is a gene associated with Charcot-Marie tooth disease, which is a neurologic condition. Answer 3, SYTSSX is incorrect, as this gene is associated with synovial sarcoma. Finally, answer 4, GNAS1 is incorrect, as this is involved with McCune-Albright syndrome. And moving on to the final question, all of the following are true of multiple hereditary exostosis except, and the choices are 1, autosomal dominant inheritance, 2, caused by mutations in the EXT1 slash EXT2 slash EXT3 genes, 3. Exastoses grow towards the joint in multiple hereditary exastosis, but away from the joint in solitary osteochondromas. 4. The most common joint affected is the knee. And 5. The rate of transformation to chondrosarcoma is less than 10% in multiple hereditary exastosis.
The correct answer to this question is three. Exostoses grow towards the joint in multiple hereditary exostosis, but away from the joint in solitary osteochondromas. So multiple hereditary exostoses is an autosomal dominant inherited disease caused by mutations in the EXT1, EXT2, or EXT3 genes. Like solitary osteochondromas, periarticular lesions grow away from the joints. The most common location for exostoses is around the knee, and the rate of transformation to chondrosarcoma is somewhere between 0.57 to 8.3%, but depends significantly on the number and location of the exostoses. Mutations in EXT1 appear to cause more severe clinical presentation with larger and more aggressive osteochondromas, as well as an increased risk of malignant transformation. Peers et al. review the literature and their center's experience with their cohort of patients with multiple hereditary exostosis. Specifically, they discuss the surgical indications and options available due to limb malalignment in multiple hereditary exostosis. That's all for this review about osteochondroma and multiple hereditary exostosis. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the OrthoBullets podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Also, if you aren't already, be sure to follow OrthoBullets on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow right here on the OrthoBullets podcast.